Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, how are you? I am Mike Pilch. This is Pilch's Perspective Podcast, a look at sports, sports history, how things of the past tie into today. Got to certainly spend time in movies and pop culture and what have you as things go on as well. But with sports right now, they're not playing, and we're going to take a look at what has happened in the past when sports have had shortened seasons, why they occurred, and how sports made contingency plans To get through it all, you can listen to me in Madison, Wisconsin on 1070 The Game and in Milwaukee on 97.3 The Game. I'm also part of the Badger Sports Network during the football and basketball seasons. Also do a lot of news anchoring for News Talk 1310 WIBA. You can follow me on Twitter at MDPilch. That is at MDPilch. So with all that's been going on and some of the important issues going on really around the world right now, Those of us that kind of have to work in sports on a regular basis and those that just enjoy watching it to get their minds off of everything else or just have background noise, whatever the situation may be, they're trying to find things to do to make up for the lack of sports in their lives. I have to admit, for somebody who's worked in sports at the high school, college, and pro level my whole life, it actually hasn't bothered me that much. It's kind of weird. I did miss NCAA tournament basketball a lot. I am missing the start of the baseball season. But on a day-by-day basis, I actually watch less sports now than I have really at any other time in my life. I actually need to get away from it. I do more just random things now than really pay attention to sports on a day-by-day basis. The big events, yeah, I'm always there. But on a day-by-day, you'd be surprised. I kind of detach myself more than I ever have. But some of these leagues have come up with some early contingency plans to try to figure out what they're going to do when play resumes. The NBA and Major League Baseball are the two kind of at the forefront of this. We aren't deep enough into the NFL offseason for them to start making contingency plans. The NHL is right there with the NBA, but haven't seen too much about what the NHL is planning on doing. What's interesting, of course, is all of this is flying from the seat of their pants. There's no blueprint on what to do for the most part in this kind of a situation because nobody knows how much of a season is going to be played and if there will be one. But... Shortened seasons is something that is not alien to the sports world. We have had them in baseball, football, the NBA, and the NHL. All of the four major sports have gone through this kind of a situation. So we're going to start with Major League Baseball. Now, they came up with a handful of uh, contingency plans here over the next week. This stuff can really change as we go. They want to play as many games as they possibly can. I think they're going to try to eye at least 140 or so, and you're probably going to have to squeeze those into, what, uh, about four months? I don't know how you're going to play 140 games in four months. So there's a potential for double headers, including up to two per week. You're going to get fewer off days throughout the course of the season. You'll get expanded rosters to help when your pitching just gets kind of torn up because of it. 
And because of that, they're also planning to expand the postseason to 14 teams this year. Now, in the end, what this is all about is owners not losing money and nothing else. By playing double headers, they're not losing the gates and all the money that goes with it for home dates. They're probably going to have to come up with some kind of an improvised television deal at the local and especially national level to make up for lost revenue. And uh, it's just going to be different. And by adding more postseason games, bigger TV dollars and all that, that's one of the ways that you can make up for some of that lost revenue. That's really all this is about in terms of Major League Baseball coming up with expanding the postseason just for at least the 2020 season. That's why virtually all these sports expand their postseason. It's why the NHL and the NBA, why 53% of their teams make the playoffs and why the NFL has just added another playoff team to each conference. It's becoming a everyone-gets-a-trophy type sport here where you don't really have to prove how good you are throughout the course of a long season where the deserving teams are getting in. Now nah, it's not about that. It's like, you know, everybody get a chance and, yeah, more randomness in a short series of the postseason, which also kind of makes it, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, less and less legitimate if you win a title now because a team that really isn't deserving of a title can now win one. But that's a different story for a different time. So let's take a look back and see what kind of contingency plans these teams all put in place for some shortened seasons. I started with the baseball conversation. It's what I know best. So let's start there. So the most recent, most famous or infamous, depending on how you want to look at it, was the strike of 1994-1995. Play ended after August 11th, 1994. The strike commenced the next day. Rest of the season, including the playoffs, the World Series, were canceled. Now, there were a lot of really poorly thought out tactics by the owners after they had lost in litigation. It eventually led to the strike ending April 2nd, 1995. They decided to begin the season April 25th, 1995. They played a 144-game schedule. The season had been due to start April 2nd, so they lost 24, actually 23 days of the actual baseball season that year. And they decided to play a standard playoff format. So they only went to spring training for essentially three weeks in 1995. That's it. Three weeks of spring training. And then they started the season because of that. For the most part, position players, they're going to be ready to go after three weeks. They really don't need that much time to get going. Pitchers are where you need it. And there were a lot of pitchers that couldn't, even starters, that couldn't go more than four or five innings at the beginning of that season, making obviously the beginning month or so of that year, much more random in the standings. But in the end, they did play 144 games. That was the first year of the wild card, first year of the divisional round. And that is how that went. So they needed just three weeks of preparation in 1995. And of course, today, players are in shape when they get to spring training. They just aren't necessarily in baseball shape in terms of, you know, facing live pitching, getting enough reps to be ready for the season, and then with the pitchers throwing enough innings. But they were able to do it in three weeks in 1995 without, to my knowledge, a number of uh, injuries before that. In 1990, there was a brief lockout at the beginning of the season. Players and owners had battled over free agency, arbitration, and revenue sharing. It postponed opening day a week. They wound up playing a full schedule, though. They just added a number of days to the end of the season. It had forced the postseason to get underway 
a little bit later in 1990, but you only had two rounds of the playoffs in the LCS of the World Series. You didn't go that deep into the calendar. There's a two-day strike in 1985 that really was not significant. Now, the weird year was 1981. Now, they went through a normal spring training that year and got the season started, but there was a strike in 81, and to call 1981 the weird season would be correct. You would not be wrong there because it was just a weird year. Owners demanded teams who lost players to free agency would get a compensation draft pick from the signing team and a player off the roster of the signing team. And players would never really agree to that at all. So games on June 11th, that was it. After June 11th, they went on strike and didn't resume until August 10th. So each team in the big leagues only played about 107 games in 1981. However, there was an uneven amount of games that were played that season. They actually came back with the All-Star game in Cleveland August 9th to kick off the second half. So baseball that year decided to radically rework the postseason and the standings. The season was divided into halves with division champs of the first half, which was the pre-strike period, and the division champs of the second half played from uh, August onward would meet at a divisional series round. The Brewers in 1981, for those Wisconsin listeners here, won part of the standing in the AL East. The Yankees won the other part. They met each other in a first round. In the American League West, it was the Oakland A's and the Kansas City Royals. Basically, you had a different division champ in each half in each league. What was interesting about that, though, is that the team that actually had the best overall record in baseball didn't make the playoffs. That was the Reds. They went 66 and 42 overall best record in baseball in 1981 and didn't make the playoffs because they didn't win either half of the season. The Cardinals had the second best overall record in the national league and didn't make the playoffs either. So that made things really funky And weird, the Orioles had the same number of overall wins as the Yankees, but two fewer losses due to an uneven amount of games played. But you go by win percentage, so they had to stay home in October. There was really nothing they could do about the uneven amount of games, and obviously that would lead to a very uneven schedule being played. But they basically picked up the schedule where they left off in between the strike and went from there, and the Dodgers wound up winning the World Series that year. So I don't know if you'll see a similar situation in 1981. I don't know if you'll have half seasons, but if you pick this up at some point, A, you got to think the majority of your games are going to be played within the division. That would make the most sense. And teams in each league, you play an unbalanced schedule as it is. It's going to be even more unbalanced and weird as you get going. But in 1981, that was the king of weirdness where you got to have the best or second best record in your league and not make the playoffs because of the way you divvied up the uh, half season. Another interesting year was 1972. The first two weeks of that season were wiped out because of the first ever player strike. It was over a disagreement about increasing pension payouts to track inflation. That was won by the players. Owners gave up after only two weeks, so they lost 85 games in all. They would not make them up, and that would create some issues because there were teams that played an uneven amount of games that season. 
because those 13 days at the beginning of the year, they featured some scattered days off. In the end, the owners and players couldn't really agree on how to compensate players for the time missed and change the schedule. So they just declared the season's going to start April 15th and go on there with the existing schedule. Pirates won the NL East by 11 games. The NL West, the Reds won by 10 and a half. The AL West, the A's finished five and a half games up. So it didn't impact those, but it greatly impacted the AL East where Detroit and Boston battled it out. The Tigers wound up winning the division, though both teams actually finished with 70 losses. But the Tigers played one more game than the Red Sox, so they finished 86-70, and 70, Boston 85-70. and 70. And because of that, it was Detroit that won the division by a half game because they played one more game, giving them the opportunity to get that extra dub. I can't imagine in this day and age with the internet, talk radio, four-letter networks, the world would explode if this kind of a travesty, if you want to call it that, would happen now. But I think when sports, if they get back to it, not out of the question, depending on how they set up a schedule, that this kind of a thing could happen here this season. And then, of course, you had 1918 and 1919. I talked about this on my last podcast. 1918 was cut short due to the First World War because by July 1st, all draft-eligible men employed in non-essential occupations had to apply for some kind of war effort work or be called into military service. About 15 players a team were, on average, either drafted or enlisted. Rosters got beat up. Regular season ended September the 2nd. The World Series was played September 5th through 11th of 1918. And here's something a lot of people may not be aware of. I think almost everyone, even if you're not a sports fan or anything, is aware of or at least heard of the Black Sox scandal, the 1919 World Series, the White Sox throwing the series to gamblers. There's a whole other discussion to be had about what's real and not real uh, about that series, but that's for another time. But what's not known well is the Cubs and the Red Sox threatened to actually strike before Game 5 of the 1918 World Series. They had refused to take the field because they had found out their World Series bonuses were going to be cut for the second time. Because before the series, owners had decided to distribute the profits of the series to all the teams in the World Series, not just the teams involved. In those days especially, the one of the big advantages of playing in the series is you made more money. You were able to sometimes double your salary just by playing an extra week of baseball. And whatever profits were made, the owners got a certain percentage of it, and then the two teams split up the rest with the winning team getting a larger share. Well, the owners said, nope, instead, we're just going to distribute between all the teams, not just the teams of the series. What that means is it was a reduced amount of money for the players actually playing in that World Series. So after Game 3, owners then voted to reduce the player bonuses even further. So then players on the Cubs and the Red Sox refused to take the field. They delayed the game for around an hour. Eventually the issue was resolved, and they wound up playing the final two games of that World Series. In 1919, as they were getting closer and closer to the series, a lot of White Sox players knew of that. That led to some of them coming up with the idea to throw the series. And like I said, that's kind of a uh, a different discussion for a different time. But 
That is what happened in 1918, and that was a shortened season. They hadn't planned on it being shortened, so it didn't really affect spring training or preseason work, but they had to abruptly cut it because of the government's worker fight order. So the armistice is reached in November of 1918. The 1919 season was also shortened to 140 games. The season got underway between April 23rd and April 25th for teams. Now, owners didn't know what was going to happen after two years of war, the Spanish flu. They weren't sure if fans were going to have the same level of passion for the game and if attendance was going to return to its pre-war numbers. So to protect profits, owners reduced the season from 154 to 140 games in 1919 basically saving them an entire paycheck. They didn't have to pay players one more paycheck, saving them a lot of money. If owners didn't play, owners don't have to pay them. Owners decided to then make the World Series a best-of-nine-game series that year rather than a best-of-seven. There was no way to know if the profits for the 1919 World Series would be that of the 1917 World Series, the last one played before the U.S. got heavily involved in the First World War. And I'd already talked about how owners basically protected their profits by playing 140 games in 1919. It turned out attendance in 1919 was actually up through the roof. People were ready to enjoy themselves, get out more, and get their minds off the bad stuff and find some of the fun, enjoyable things in life. Kind of sounds uh, the same as it does now, does it not? Yep. You're probably going to see... Similar type of things happen once this ends, whenever that is, be it in a month or a year, whatever it is. So in the beginning of September, the National Commission, the three-man board that governed Major League Baseball at the time, proposed extending the World Series to nine games. Owners approved it like that. And overnight, two more games were added to the World Series. This was essentially done because going into the season, people didn't know how popular the game would be, and if people would flock back. World Series being what it is, hey, if we don't make as much money at the gates with attendance this year, we'll make up for it by getting revenue back when we hike prices up for the World Series. So in the end, the owners made a ridiculous amount of money that year because they saved money they would have spent, made way more money than they thought they would at the gate, and then got extra revenue by playing a best-of-nine World Series rather than a best of seven. And that is kind of how 1919 went down and why that season was also one of those shortened. That's a quick look now at how it has happened throughout Major League Baseball. This has happened in the other sports, too, of course. Let's take a look at the NFL. Now, it's been a while since the NFL has had a shortened season. I believe the last one was in 1987. So what happened in 1987? That year, there was a player strike that began after week two. The games that were scheduled for week three of the season were canceled. So that reduced the season from a 16-game season to 15. But games for week... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Four through six were actually played with replacement players that year because the union voted to then end the strike. About 50% of the NFLPA's players chose to cross picket lines to play during the strike anyway. So when games resumed in 1987, the games with the replacement players counted in the standings. So when the regular players came back beginning for week seven, Those, you know, those games were already in the standings. So in the end, if your replacement players went three and oh for you and the rest of your team went, I don't know, I can't do math off the top of my head here. Let's say the rest of your team went five and 70, finished eight and 70, might squeak into the playoffs despite really not being a good an NFL team that year. It's just that the replacement players maybe were better uh, amongst the other replacement players. It's kind of a weird year because those games counted in the standings. And Joe Gibbs of the Redskins were able to win a Super Bowl behind Doug Williams and Timmy Smith and Ricky Sanders and the Hogs and all that. The 1982 season is the season, though, that I have always found very, very interesting. The NFL that year only played nine games. That was it, a nine-game season. And this had to do with a strike, owners and players not getting along after the league had entered into a new television agreement a five-year deal with nbc abc and cbs so the nfl players association demanded a 55 percent stake in revenue sharing beginning in 82 needless to say the owners go for that and uh agreeing to a de- the demand would have given about a 1.6 billion to the players that assorted income during the four years of that new tv agreement and there was no way owners were going to give up that much in the end of course people watch football games for the players and not the owners and they're the ones that are technically probably buying and selling the advertising people aren't selling advertising to watch owners own they're doing it to watch players play but again that's a whole different situation for a different time i've never been a big fan of sports owners in case uh, you can't tell been a handful through the years that have been okay but I, i won't go too much farther than saying okay So owners countered by locking out players at all team facilities, but the loss of income and pressure from some marquee players, cracks in the NFLPA's armor started showing. The strike dragged into November. Players suddenly wanted to speed things along because guys weren't getting paid. That includes your lower-tier guys at a roster who really aren't making big-time money yet. They actually really need the money. And in the end, they struck a deal November the 16th. Players got a five-year, $1.28 billion package plus incentives in the new agreement. They wound up playing just a nine-game season 
And it was interesting. They actually called it a Super Bowl tournament. There were eight teams at each conference that made the postseason in 1982. Teams were seeded one through eight, and it was just set up like a typical tournament bracket. One played eight, two, seven, three, six, four, five. The bracket, to my knowledge, was set ahead of time. It wasn't lowest seed playing highest seed. You just moved on with that. Because of that, you had a number of teams that made the postseason with sub-500 records. And the NFC Detroit got in at 4-5. and five. My Cleveland Browns got in at 4-5 and five on the AFC side. Buffalo and Seattle, also in the AFC, finished with records of 4-5. and five. Since then, the only sub-500 teams to make the playoffs in the NFL were the Seahawks in 2010, who went 7-9 but won the division, and then Carolina won the division in 2014 at 7-8-1. In the end, second-seeded Miami and top-seeded Washington out of the NFC met in the Super Bowl. John Riggins had his kind of career-defining game in the Super Bowl win over Miami. Uh, they won that game uh, 27-17. to John Riggins runs for 166 yards, and Joe Theismann gets his title, and Joe Gibbs wins his first championship, and the Hogs did their thing up front, and the Redskins beat uh, Miami for the title. So in the end, he had two of the really best teams in the NFL that did indeed meet in that Super Bowl. That's really all there is in terms of a shortened season for the NFL. Now, in 2001, the league did delay week two after the September 11 attacks, but they wound up playing a full season. They just basically pushed everything back a little bit. There have been some lockouts and strikes before in the league, specifically in the 70s, but that didn't affect the number of games played. And when you look at the NBA, few differences here. For one thing, the NBA didn't start till 1946. It doesn't have as long a history. It took itself a little while to build up for teams to start making money for television deals. Last podcast talked about how, my goodness, you didn't even have, you know, NBA final and playoff games being played in prime time. They were on tape delay TV a lot during the week. So since you didn't have as much television money and money in general involved, you didn't have as much labor strife in the NBA, and all of it really started in the 90s. And it really began after the 98 season, which is when Michael Jordan played his final game with the Chicago Bulls. So owners created a work stoppage for the first time ever in the NBA on July 1st of 1998. They locked out the players. It was over. Uh, they, they wanted a hard salary cap of the league. They fought for a luxury tax, players' salary limits. All salary caps are essentially put in to limit the amount of money players can make, and so owners can make a larger profit. And if you can do it with better competitive balance, that's fine. It's arguable in both the NBA and even despite what you hear in the NFL, how much it's truly meant. But that's really why salary caps were invented, so that owners have reasons to not pay more, and therefore make larger profits. So this really came to a head for the first time in the NBA after the 1998 season. After a loss of half of the season, players finally gave up on maximum player salaries based on seasons played, longer rookie contracts, now three years guaranteed with an optional fifth season. The owners also got some concessions where the players agreed to an escrow tax in 2001-2002 if salary expenditures got 
higher than 55% of the basketball-related income. And so this was basically a labor situation that led to the shortened 1998-1999 season. So the 29 teams played a shortened 50 regular game season that year, and then the 16 teams that qualified for the playoffs, they played a full postseason schedule. Now, I mentioned that in baseball, after the 1995 strike ended, they only had a three-week spring training before they started playing. What the NBA did in January of 1999, they only had a 12-day training camp before beginning the season on February 5th. They played 50 regular season games in 90 nights. That's actually a very grueling schedule. A lot of back-to-backs. They really became the norm. Three games and three nights were common. If you want to have an idea of what you may be looking at if the NBA wants to get regular season games in at some point right now. In the end, San Antonio won their first title with Tim Duncan as a rookie, David Robinson there. An eight-seeded New York Knicks team got to the finals. So they were kind of a unique eight-seed. They had a lot of injuries throughout the course of the season. And by the time the playoffs got there, they were healthy. And Remember, they beat Miami, the one seed of the first round, and a lot of people that year thought, Whoever won that series would actually go to the finals, and they were right. The Knicks won the series and went to the finals, and so they were an eight seed, but in reality, they were like a two or a three seed, but that's how they played out. So only 12 days of training camp in the 1999 NBA season before they got going. If you want to think about how much time players may need to get it going, um, you know, coming out of the COVID-19 issues. And they've already played 50-some-odd games this year, even though they've taken about a month off now. The other time it happened in the NBA was 2011-2012. There was a lockout that season. Again, it was over the collective bargaining agreement. It was a 161-day lockout that eventually ended on December the 8th. And that year, the NBA actually played 66 regular season games. The only time there was a shorter amount of games was in 99 when they played the 50. And that year, in order to rev things up, they basically had a 16-day training camp. Memorably, the season began Christmas Day, December the 25th. Training camps didn't begin until December 9th. So they only got about 16 days of training camp. So in 99, they got 12 days to get ready for a long NBA season. In 2011, it was 16 days. Players... This season, 2019-2020, have already played about two-thirds of their season or so and are in basketball shape. So i got to think the NBA and the NHL would probably fall into this category as well. They're really not going to need that much time to get back after it once they get up and going. And a lot of these guys are staying in shape on their own as best they can anyway. So I would think if you go a week or so of camp, maybe seven to ten days, they're going to be ready to get back after it again and maybe even less time than that. And speaking of the NHL, they've been on hiatus as well. When you look at shortened seasons in its league history, the 1918-1919 season saw the outbreak of the Spanish flu. I mentioned on my last podcast that did affect the Stanley Cup final between the Seattle Metropolitans and the Montreal Canadiens. The series was tied 2-2-1. and And uh, they did not finish that series due to the Spanish flu. No Stanley Cup was officially awarded. Basically, Seattle and Montreal finished as co-champs of the league. 
There was an interesting situation that occurred during the 24-25 season. The Hamilton Tiger players went on strike. They wanted a pay raise because the season had been increased from 24 to 30 games. They weren't given an increase, so players said, we're not going to play. So the league president declared the Montreal Canadiens the league champs. Montreal would lose the Stanley Cup final to the Victoria Cougars of the WHL, and this will get you some free beer somewhere maybe. The uh, Victoria Cougars are the only team to beat an NHL team for the Stanley Cup. So 1925 was the only time an NHL team lost the Cup to a team from a rival league. Then you have to go all the way to 1992 to find a different kind of season in the NHL. And this got kind of ugly between players and owners. The players called a strike just before the conclusion of the regular season and the beginning of the postseason over free agency, arbitration, playoff bonuses, and revenue sharing from trading cards. Players thought if they went on strike that close to the beginning of the playoffs, they'd have a step up on owners because teams were so dependent on playoff revenue. Eventually, it was decided that the strike was settled after 10 days due to a federal mediator making that decision. So they were able to complete the season. They actually wound up playing 84 games instead of 80. Uh, Two neutral site games were played per season, and that was really done to gauge potential expansion interest. Larger playoff bonuses were given to players. The Penguins went on to win their second straight Stanley Cup. Yeah, the famous 94-95 lockout, that led to a shortened season. Rather than playing the typical then 84-game season, it was a 48-game season. Uh, That was really the shortest the NHL would play in more than 50 years. The Devils went on to win their first Stanley Cup. And because of that, to get the 48 games in, too, they also pushed the regular season back into May. Normally, an NHL season ends really kind of in mid-April, sometimes the earlier part of April. So that labor situation ended on January 11th, and they began the season on January 20th. So that gave teams really eight days max to have training camp. A lot of players had played in the offseason. There had been a four-on-four tournament that the players had organized that season. Modern-day athletes, they're in pretty good shape when they enter camp, but you still need to build that team cohesiveness, know what you're doing on the ice or the field or the court, and you know, no certain game situations that you have to work on. But the bottom line is when these leagues have had stoppages, it's not really taken that long for them to use some preseason time to get ready. The NHL, of course, had a lockout then in 2004, 2005, and they never even played their entire season. They lost the entire year. And then in 2013, they also played a 48-game season because it was locked out until January the 19th. The Blackhawks won another title that year, defeating the Boston Bruins. And players at that point in 2013, some of them had played for national teams. Some of them had played, you know, in their own country in those leagues. There were a couple of guys that were late reporting to the NHL by the time the NHL season was set to continue. So those guys were in pretty good shape, too didn't take that long to get into the regular season flow. So really what we've learned is when there have been shortened seasons and in virtually every situation with the exception of really the Spanish flu, it's been because of labor strife. It hasn't taken leagues all that long to hold a preseason camp and get it revved up again. I have to admit, I was very surprised. I thought in 1995 of the baseball it was a four week spring training. 
just had that number in my head for the last quarter century. How is that a quarter century ago? My God. But it was three weeks. That's not a lot of time for pitchers to get ready. And you're going to be looking at something similar to that if baseball revs up again. I don't think it's going to take much time for the NHL or the NBA to get going now. One difference, granted, is that these teams right now, these players don't have access to facilities to go work out in. These guys are in pretty good shape to begin with, so they'll need a little bit of time. But I think if the NBA wants to open its season immediately with the playoffs, same with the NHL, because I think that's what they're going to do. I think they'll just call the regular season what it is and open it with the postseason. Maybe a week or a handful of days of training camp to get going. And it's interesting if they started up without any exhibition games, even just one or two contests, but that might be what you're looking at. But in the past, they haven't given them much time to get the season going. And the scary part of that, especially if I'm in Wisconsin right now and a lot of Buck fans here, that makes things a little more up in the air as to what the results are going to be. It makes it a little more random because these teams aren't who they're going to be when the season starts. But as we know in basketball, that's the one sport where the best team basically wins 99% of the time because the stars in basketball, well, they dominate the game. They're out there the entire game. They're playing offense and defense. It's why it pretty much plays to chalk the majority of the time at a basketball. Not at all is that the case in hockey where you get a hot goaltender, a team plays well, and weird things can happen. So that could make things, you know, much more random. Also, the NBA recently came out, or there were reports of it, that they could finish the regular season at a fanless site. The playoffs could be reduced to a best of five or best of three series, maybe even a single elimination format like the NCAA tournament. Single elimination is utterly stupid. That is not a gauge of who the better team is, and I've had that opinion of the NCAA tournament as well. NCAA tournament's great. It's fun. It's a great sporting event, but it's an obscenely stupid way to determine your champion. And I would have the same opinion. You play in, even right now in the NBA, a 50-60 game regular season, then do a one-and-done. That's just idiotic, for lack of a better phrase. Best of five, I could live with. Best of three is pretty random, too. But because of the circumstances, they're kind of making this up off the seat of their pants. It'll be interesting to see what happens if, indeed, they get it all going. So from a major sports perspective, that is what has happened in shortened seasons. The majority of the time we have learned it's been because of labor strife. And when they decided to get the regular season going, it hasn't taken that much time to have a preseason camp before the regular season got underway. The NBA, it was as little as nine days to get ready. Same with the NHL. And in Major League Baseball, just the three-week spring training before 1995's season were ready to begin. So if baseball wants to open by Memorial Day, if that's possible, you would basically give them the month of May to hold workouts and drills and games before starting it up, say, in June. And owners, as I've talked about, will do all they can to make up for whatever revenue they lose. So I am Mike Pilch. You can find me online at Twitter, at MDPilch. Give a lot of news items and uh, some random sports and history information as I go on on there. That is at MD Pilch. And, of course, you can listen to me on the Big 1070 in Madison. It's 1070 the game, as well as 97-3 the game out of Milwaukee. And uh, when the Badgers start playing again, basketball and football along the Badger Sports Network. Hope you enjoyed it. I am Mike Pilch, and this has been Pilch's Perspective.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.